welcome to MindShift, where we explore how mindsets can help you live a life of passion and purpose. On this show, we'll explore how our thoughts, attitudes, and beliefs shape our outlook on life and influence our decisions. We'll talk to experts from various fields and hear from individuals who have transformed their lives by adopting new mindsets. Whether you're feeling stuck, searching for life's purpose, or simply curious about the power of the mind and how it's changing the future, this podcast is for you. So sit back, relax, and let's dive in. Hello and welcome to MindShift. If you haven't done so already, please hit that subscribe button and follow along for some tips and tools on how to become your best self. Today I have a special guest with me that I'm super excited to have on the show, uh, George Brooks. Is that how I say that? Yes, sir. And he has an incredible story about all kinds of different trauma and, and dealing with you know, some depression and some different emotions going on throughout it all. And and ultimately overcoming a lot of his uh, his battles and and becoming a coach for for different people that are on similar journeys and um, it's just an absolutely extraordinary individual. So George, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. So let's start right at the beginning. Um, you know, let's dive right into some of those uh, traumas that uh, you were dealing with as a as a child and how they kind of popped up throughout your life and some of the tools and tips that uh, you utilize to kind of get through some of these traumas. Right. Well, my name is George Brooks. I'm originally from Memphis, Tennessee, uh, now residing in Dallas, Texas. And I noticed that about age seven, um, I did not process my emotions the same way that my peers did or um, even other people around me did. And at that point, I, I began to recognize that I was having some issues in terms of my mental health, even at that young age. And I was blessed in the sense that my parents were pretty progressive uh, in terms, especially being uh, Black parents, uh, they believed in getting help. Um, so I first saw a psychiatrist about age nine, was diagnosed initially with depression, and um, I had somewhat of an emotionally abusive relationship with my father, which got better later. But during the first half of my life, it was really, really rough. And um, as a result, I developed an eating disorder as a way to cope with what was going on with me. And I was subject to morbid obesity as a child and as an adolescent. And anyone who's been through that knows how traumatic that can be on its own. Um, so, um, during my adolescence, I went through several traumatic incidents, such as, you know, parental divorce, uh, just different incidents that would happen that would leave a scar on me. So that carried on to my early adulthood. Uh, I married in my early twenties, um, had my first son and, uh, my marriage was not what I envisioned or wanted it to be just because I had not dealt with my mental illness. I went through several struggles as far as finding clinicians, finding the right medication, and finding a regimen that would work for me. So about 2005, I was diagnosed with bipolar 1, uh, dissociative identity disorder, and PTSD. And that began another segment of my treatment in terms of finding a right combination. And during that time, I was unable to work uh, anymore due to physical problems. And uh, it, it, it played on my mind. And um, I went through a depression. I also suffered about an eight-year addiction to cocaine. During the time, my marriage deteriorated. Um, went through 
custody battles with my oldest son that that to this up to this day I'm dealing with, and he's 17. And um, just uh, pretty much anything that could almost happen to a man happened to me. And uh, about August 2017, that's when I hit my rock bottom, separated from my wife. Uh, life was in disarray, almost passed away due to neglected health. And uh, I was just alone. And at that point, I decided, what did I want for myself? And I realized I lost my purpose. And once I realized it, I started to build myself up from rock bottom. Uh, that meant reading certain books, uh, exploring myself and my emotions and dealing with those trauma. And um, later that year, I relocated to Dallas to get away from a lot of trauma and, and, and triggers. And I started my nonprofit med association. And we focus on male mental health, fighting recidivism and fatherhood. And in this past year, in 2022, we've experienced a lot of growth. We have a lot of things on the horizon. Uh, I'm now in a good spot in my life, not quite where I want to be, but getting there. And just endeavor every day to try to help people, all people, and try to make people's lives better. That's amazing. So taking a step back real quick, um, when you were dealing with your childhood obesity, did this uh, like kind of continue on into your your marriage and something that you've been been fighting with for a while? Or what were uh, some of like the emotions that were coming up as you were dealing with this um, this void that we were trying to fulfill? Right. Um, in, in terms of, of, of my obesity, I had weight loss surgery in June of 2003. And that pretty much saved my life. But, you know, dealing with childhood obesity, which is something I advocate for, um, I went, I went through the shame. I was very quiet and introverted. So when people ridiculed me, I kind of would take it to heart. And that, that caused me a lot of trauma. And um, that was a journey. And I realize now that the food addiction, the eating, eating disorder that I had, it was just transposed over to the cocaine addiction. It just went from one addiction to another. And that was my way of coping. So once I was able to really realize that and see the correlation between the two, I was really able to correct it and try to turn it into something that could be possibly beneficial to myself and others. That's that's absolutely incredible. I know that it's it's an issue that I dealt with as a kid as well, and right. um, even into my adulthood. And it was just fascinating. And for me, it uh, transferred over to to alcohol for a while, and I was you know drinking and trying to fulfill this this void within me. And it wasn't until I actually got completely sober and really started focusing on the underlying emotion and issue of of childhood trauma that um, I really was able to to reverse what was going on with me. Right, right. So after you you move to Dallas and you start your company, um, what is like the number one trauma that you see specifically men dealing with as they're kind of facing some of these uh, emotions and these traumas that are popping up in their life? Uh, the main issue that I see is that we as men aren't normally taught to process our emotions. Uh, we're told to stuff it down. And as a result, we end up internalizing so much that it manifests itself in harmful ways. And um, that's really the main thing I see as far as the catalyst for it, a lot of it has to do with family. Um, I find that many families have secrets that that many men deal with insecurities. I, I, I always say men in many ways are more insecure than most women. Uh, we have a lot of pressure on us in society to provide, to perform, and we're not always equipped to deal with that. 
So I try to address that and try to get people that I deal with to, to really deal with their individual issues, to really take time to be introspective and try to find a way to heal those wounds and to also be patient with themselves. I love that. And it's, it is so true how um, we've kind of been stunted. I know recently I went through this intensive trauma therapy that um, I didn't understand that in childhood, the only type of masculinity that masculinity that I had been shown was toxic masculinity. And as a result, I kind of buried my own masculinity for a while. I went to this mode of if, if being masculine means being mean and really not uh, supportive of people, then I don't want that. I don't want to be anything like that, which we know is not true masculinity, but, uh, but this toxic version that we were shown as kids. And what's fascinating to me is how much it controlled my life. Uh, I became a people pleaser as a result. I would avoid conflict at, you know, all costs and really just kind of become fearful of, of any confrontation as a result of this and really just wanting to uh, avoid and then, and then make it better however I could. Right. Right. And we oftentimes find ourselves trying to live up to this model of, of masculinity that is toxic, as you said. And uh, a lot of that is kind of defining your own sense of masculinity, what that looks like for you, uh, what that may look like for one man may look different from another. So uh, it's really um, about the self and self-development and self-improvement and doing things that are going to be relevant to your life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so I'm curious, I know that you mentioned uh, you started reading some books and and really trying to reverse this this mindset and these habits that we've developed as a coping mechanism. Um, besides writing, reading some books, um, what were some other tools that were, you were utilizing to kind of look within yourself and, and kind of figure out what was going on inside you? Basically, I, I took, <clears throat> excuse me, a couple months and looked back over my whole life and look at those things that traumatized me and, and, and really tried to explore what was, it, what was it about it that made it so hard and, and forgiving myself for a lot forgiving myself for, for, for feeling that way and understanding that it didn't mean that I was a failure or inept in any way, it just meant that I needed to find new ways to deal with those things, to deal with those triggers, to deal with that stimulus. And um, I started, you know, looking at different philosophies, um, uh, studying stoicism, uh, things like that. And, and um, that's really what it took. Uh, It's a hard thing. It's hard to describe. It's a painful thing. It's a painful process. But I feel that most men, if not every man, needs to go through that at some point in life to really define who he is to himself. Yeah, absolutely. I know with me, it also started with reading some books. I, uh, I started with a book called Stealing Fire, which was all about different brain states and got me really obsessed with how my brain works and measuring my own brain states and and just kind of going down the path. And it really doesn't matter what information that that we connect to, just that we start the path, right? As long as we just take that next step. Right. And that's the thing I find a lot of people have a problem with is just making that initial jump to uh, get out there and improve themselves. We oftentimes spend so much time planning and 
and, and plotting uh, course of action that we never really get around to endeavoring upon it. So that's one thing I try to encourage people to do. If, if there's something in your life that you want to accomplish, something that you want to do, something that you want to realize, you have to make that first step and make it an actuality. So with some individuals that are, are maybe struggling to take that first step, whether it's stuck in, in their own head and their own fears and their own judgments, or maybe just having that lack of motivation um, or not knowing really where to start, what, uh, what, is your, what are some of your tools that you help people kind of get over that hump just to take that first step? Uh, one thing I advise people to do is find someone who's doing what you're doing that you admire and study them. Uh, not saying that you have to follow their path verbatim, but find ways to uh, alter what they've done in a way that's gonna fit you. And once you do that, and once you find a model for, for the path that you wanna go on, endeavor upon it. You gotta do it. You gotta make that first step. And don't be afraid to stumble. Don't be afraid to fail. Uh, if you fail, fail upwards. So um, basically just getting out there and getting it done, because that's one thing that we often like I said, that, that stops so many people. That first step is scary. And sometimes you just got to get out the nest and just try to fly. Yeah, absolutely. One of uh, the, the superheroes that I follow, his name is uh, Tony Robbins, and it's uh, Success Leaves Clues, right? Right. And absolutely agree with that 100% that, you know, once you start modeling whoever it is that you look up to, then you can find little things that work for you. Of course, it's not going to look exactly like Tony Robbins or whoever it is, but uh, but really just kind of modeling the success that other people are having and you'll find your own success within that path. Right, perfect. And I kind of want to step back a little bit to something that you just said, that if you're going to fail, fail forward. And I absolutely, absolutely love that. Another guy I follow, Peter Diamandis, one of my favorite quotes he says is, a fail early, fail often, and fail forward. And I really like playing around with this idea and helping people reframe this idea of failure, because no matter what we've ever done, ever been through, ever learned, we failed at, before we ever succeeded. Uh, right. I mean, for the for the most part and for the majority of us, right? We are never going to be amazing at math until we get that first problem wrong and realize, yeah. okay, where did I where did I go awry? What can I do to to get better? Right? Exactly. Yes, I absolutely, absolutely love that. So with uh, with different people that are going through your program that are kind of feeling this uh, gloom and doom and uh, this failure mindset, what are what are some ways you kind of help them reframe this way of thinking to really not only accept but embrace failure and and have it be a motivator for them? Uh, one of the main things I tell people is remove yourself from toxic relationships in your life. And I don't care who that is. I don't care if it's your mother, your kids, whatever, if it's toxic and it's causing you to not realize your full potential, you have to jettison that relationship, no matter how difficult it may be. And the second thing I tell people is to find your purpose. Um, what's that one thing that you would pay somebody to allow you to do? And whatever that is, pursue it wholeheartedly, fully, and in earnest. And when people do that, and they really put forth the effort, I find that they tell me that the rest of their lives tends to fall into place. We all have a purpose. We all have a mission. We all have something that we are meant to do. And a lot of times, we are not conscious of it. But seek it out. And once you find it, pursue it. 
That's, that's beautiful. And it really is paramount. One thing that I, I teach the people that I work with is your environment is going to determine your success. Right. Whoever you surround yourself with, the the people kind of like you said, cutting out those negative people that aren't supporting your path and really cultivating a group of individuals and even the information that we surround ourselves with that's going to support your path to success. You know, like what are we doing at night? Are we reading the news or watching the news or, you know, going into this crisis mode thinking that the world is on fire and everything's going crazy? Or are we you know, reading the books? Are we listening to some podcasts? Are we getting the information that's really going to keep that fire lit, keep us motivated and realize that we live in an abundant world? You know, you look at any history and time and we've never lived in a more abundant time than right now. And it's absolutely fascinating how the environment we surround ourselves with is really going to affect the mindset of how we show up every day. Right. And as a matter of fact, uh, I kind of exemplify that in the sense that I left my hometown because of the triggers and toxicity. And and once I did, uh, you need a change of scenery and be mindful of who your friends are, who you associate with, because you are who you surround yourself with. So uh, try to find like minded people. Uh, Like you said, we we live in in an abundant world, so there's no excuse to to not uh, expose yourself to people who are positive, who are like-minded. You just have to take the time and have the foresight to go out and seek that. Absolutely. And one thing that I also want to just add on to that is that I truly believe that we need to go back over the last 90 days and look at our successes, like really look at everything that we've done, no matter how small, no matter how little that win was and celebrate it and recognize it. And I mean, we all know, where we need to improve and we focus on it way too much, but really where have you won over the last 90 days? What are like the little successes you've had? Um, And doing that creates so much more motivation to continue going as we're, we're going forward. Right. We we should be uh, magnifying our successes while learning from our failures. Yes, absolutely. And, and really embracing it all. So with your, your um, company, your nonprofit that you started, what is, what does that program look like? What does that entail? If, you know, a man comes to you that's, that's wanting to overcome some obstacles in their life. um, What does it look like as far as the the program that you guys um, take them through? Well, we got two programs that we're initiating. Uh, We're trying to uh, raise funds to facilitate these. The first is my son's former school, um, we approached them about developing a co-parenting program. And the purpose of that is not only to uh, help fractured families and, and couples co-parent better, but provide a secure, mental, safe mental place for the children. So we're, we're working on that and hope to launch that uh, next year. I've also started a men's support group online on Facebook called Meta Men's Mentality. And we're an online support group for men that are going through... Um, separation, custody battles, anything that 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 that's unique to, to men. So I want to create a place where we could congregate and talk and share a safe place where we can help heal. Um, also, uh, the, a big part of my nonprofit medical association is, is me speaking and raising awareness and helping to distem- de- uh, stigmatize and decriminalize mental illness and just making people aware of what it looks like. 
and making people aware of ways to cope and deal with it. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely amazing. And it really is paramount to uh, understand mental illness and not uh, just kind of, you know, have the, the stigmatism that you, you just mentioned of like, Oh, there's something wrong with my brain. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one thing that I didn't realize, I just was never diagnosed as a kid is uh, that I grew up with ADHD and I, I've realized this later on, but what happened was, is I went to a, um, is a, it's called alpha, alpha neuro, which it's measured my brain waves. And what I found was the back of my brain was not talking to the right side of my uh, prefrontal cortex, mm-hmm. which there's some amazing programs to be able to rewire this. And so it can, but it happened when I was 13 years old and I got a concussion and, uh, and from then on, my brain just wasn't, wasn't talking in those. And when I would go to school, when I do anything, it's almost as if I would lose interest completely of what was being said. And I'd be, you know, daydreaming about playing outside or, or whatever it was that would go in into my adulthood. And in adulthood, I used to think that I'm not, um, meant to read books that I'm not good at reading. And part of the reason why is because I'd pick up one book and whenever I got disinterested or I was just, you know, my brain was off somewhere else, I would end up putting this book down and it'd be so hard for me to pick it up. But coping with my own ADHD, what I ended up doing was getting five different books and having five different books going at a time. And I found that as long as I have multiple ones to choose from, then I can choose from whichever one I'm feeling that day. And then I end up finishing all of them, which, right. uh, which is absolutely fascinating. So I really do think that we need to understand our own mental illnesses of what's going on and develop whatever tools, whether it's a therapist, whether it's a support group, whether it's, you know, picking up five books and reading, you know, whatever that may be to really work with what's going on inside of us. Right. Because I, and to piggyback on what you just said, uh, I want to bring this up. You know, we we have to look at the term mental health, and we oftentimes neglect the health part, and we we judge those with uh, mental wellness issues as as we look at it as a character flaw, instead of looking at it as a health issue. And that's one thing that through uh, through my advocacy work, I hope to try to change the perception of. Um, and and I think if we address it like a health issue. We'll see a lot of progress. We'll see a lot of healing. Uh, will it ever be perfect? No, but hopefully we can make it better for for at least one individual. Uh, if we can change one person, we can change many. Yes, yes, absolutely. And really finding a support group of of people that are on a similar path is is yeah. paramount. Yeah, you have to have a support system, and that that sometimes can be the hardest part. But um, that's when you have to learn to get rid of those toxic relationships and try to find healthy, beneficial ones. Yes, yes, absolutely. And for me, I know that looked uh, like finding a meditation group where I could actually go and meditate with a group of people and um, just quiet my mind so I can go inside myself and having that group of people around me and having the guided meditation of really going in and exploring how I was feeling was the catalyst for, for me changing everything, changing all these habits and and becoming who I am today. Right. Right. True. So um, one thing that I really 
am curious about. It's uh, it's my opinion when we wake up every day that we set ourselves up for the day, whether that be laying in bed and, you know, <laughs> pushing snooze on the alarm or, or whether it's getting out of bed, taking a shower, you know, going for a walk, drinking water, whatever that is. So I'm just curious, uh, what is your morning routine? What is it that like supercharge you to help you start your day when you get up in the morning? Well, uh, throughout my journey, I discovered my faith. So I usually start the day with prayer, um, with a sense of gratitude, um, gratitude for the day before, gratitude for that day, whether whether my previous day was full of, of wins or losses, I'm still grateful for it. And uh, appreciation for people who, who, help, who help me in my life and who are important to me. I start that every day. And I try to accomplish something as soon as I wake up, even if it's just listening to a motivational message or reading something that inspires me. And that usually sets my tone for the day. Yeah, absolutely. And and really, uh, I, I do meditation first thing in the morning for the same reason. It really does help uh, just give us that gratitude and just different perspective first thing in the morning to really kind of supercharge our day. Right. So right. before I let you go, uh, what where can people find you? Uh, is it social media? What's your website? What are where are some uh, areas where people can actually find you if they want to work with you? Sure. Well, our website is meta, M-E-T-T-A, association.org. Uh, there you can find some information about our nonprofit, uh, ways to donate and support. Um, also, uh, clips of, of previous speeches and, and, and things that we've done to try to learn more about us. And hopefully when people go there, uh, they can find something that will help them. Uh, you can also reach us at our office. That number is 214 810 6518. And um, I am on Facebook under George P as in Peter Brooks. And we're also on Instagram, meta.association. And right now we are running a fundraiser. We do accept donations. They are sorely needed. And uh, we do have a cash app campaign. So if you have cash app, you can donate to us at dollar sign meta association, all one word. Love that. I'll, I'll be getting on and following you as well. And for anybody listening, all those will be included in the show notes so you can uh, more easily find George Brooks and everything that he's doing. So before I let you go, I just have one last question for you, which is uh, this idea also from Peter Diamandis of this massive transformative purpose that when we do something bigger than ourselves, that we put a dent in the universe and really help out humanity. So I'm just curious with you and your organization going forward, what is your massive transformative purpose? To um, help people get a better understanding of mental illness and the mentally ill and not see it as a character flaw and not see it as a weakness and not see it as something negative, but see it as something that makes us unique, uh, something that makes us, that gives us insight that can help uh make us more empathetic and better help the world. I love that. And, and hopefully uh, completely change the way that we even uh, diagnose and look, look at mental illness uh, in within the medical system. Right. Definitely. Definitely. I absolutely love that. Well, I want to extend a huge thank you out to George Brooks for coming on the show today. And uh, hopefully we can uh, collaborate again in the future. Sure. I'd love to.
All right. You have a great day, George. All right. You too. Thanks.